Ladies and gentlemen, this is this all good, man. The better. Better Call Saul Podcast. My name is Brian, and with me, as always, this forgetful day. Forgetful day. How you doing today? I don't remember. All right. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave and I also host the Nothing Important Podcast. Check that out. Nothingimportantpodcast.com. And on iTunes, you can also check out Apomus Among Us, the Rickest, Rick and Morty podcast, where Jeff, our perennial third Mike, and I talk about the awesome show, Rick and Morty. New episodes of that coming soon. New episodes of Nothing Important coming soon. But right now we are talking about episode 309 of Better Call Saul, which is titled, Dave? Autumn. Autumn. I mean, fall. <laughs> fall. Okay, sweet, sweet. <laughs> Uh, before we get started, we have a partnership with the TV Time app. Make sure to download that on your smartphone. Talk yep. to uh, track the shows that you watch. Talk to other people yep. that watch them. Yep. Make memes. Yep. And uh, upload yep. pictures. Yep. You can even do video comments on there. It's kind of fun. Good times. Good interaction. Some people have already left us some interesting stuff that we have discussed on previews with the prior. Mm-hmm. When I don't forget things to edit preview with the prior. Yep, that's true. Uh, uh, one of our TV Time listeners, F. Koreshi, Dave, wants to know why our theme song cuts off abruptly. It is 100% because the theme song to the actual show cuts off abruptly. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with Dave Porter, who does the music. Yep. I said, is that a decision on your part, or is that the way the song was written? He said it was a decision on my part to cut it off and... Uh, you know, just kind of leave you hanging. Mm-hmm. So I incorporated that into ours. And then at the end of the episode, whereas Better Call Saul has a reinterpretation of the theme song, mm-hmm. I just play the full version with an actual resolved ending. Gotcha. And that's actually like the third theme song that we've used, right? I think so. It's the second. We redid the drums on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest of it's pretty much the same. It's our friend Pat on mandolin, our friend Alex on vocals, and our friend Tom on the rest of the crap. Yeah, and uh, when we first started, friend, for those of you, our friend Don on drums, for those of you new listeners out there, when we first started, like season one, we used the Junior Brown Better Call Saul song that they used to promote the series. Right. Yeah. Which Dave Dave Porter wrote the music, Vince mm-hmm. Gilligan wrote the lyrics, and Junior Brown came in and knocked it out because he's the man. Yeah, and we actually got permission to use it from Dave Porter himself. Yeah, he thought it was very well. Actually, we didn't get permission. We asked for forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. But he was actually kind of flattered by it. He thought it was super cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So when you see Dave uh, Dave Porter's name pop up, we've actually talked to him before, so make sure to go back on the feed and episode listings, and you'll see amongst our many interviews with many people involved with Better Call Saul, one mm-hmm. of our earliest ones was with Dave Porter, the sound guru for Better Call Saul. Also, my first solo interview that was. and uh, That's right. It was, it was fun. It was, yeah. If you want to hear me talk, <laughs> which i do talk i talk more on this podcast than any other podcast actually so. yeah you do <laughs> by far actually. yeah well that's the color guy mm-hmm. to your play-by-play as mm-hmm. it were yeah all right here we go episode 309 we open up uh we see jimmy in the parking lot and he has a plate of kitty cookies that's right i like uh just the small details of how he unwrapped the stack of paper plates, uh-huh. doing the whole like run your finger around until it eventually cuts <laughs> the the plastic. Right. And uh, I also like when he was pulling out the store bought, obviously store bought kitty cookies. Mm-hmm. 
one of them was broken and it just kind of cracked me up that he like pulled the broken one up and then like set it back down right like well, it's such a realistic and minute detail but those little things kind of crack me up that's what sets the show apart side note this is how i show up to parties <laughs> with, with kitty cookies <laughs> with kitty cookies in the store-bought container mm-hmm. the wrapped up paper plates i separate them i put the plate the cookies on the plate wrap it in foil like they're homemade mm-hmm. walk up to the door yeah, it's uh. It turns out Jimmy is there, pretty much doing a uh, like I guess customer follow up is the pretense think, that he's there under. Yeah, the pretense, mm-hmm. absolutely, because he, he quickly find out why. But I, I I love the the kitty cookies make sense because he wanted to remind Mrs. Landry, Felix, and Oscar, mm-hmm. <laughs> her two cats. Now, was did we ever figure out if she was? The Alpine Shepherd Boy Lady? I'm going to say yes. I'm pretty sure she was. I think she was the Alpine Shepherd Boy Lady. She's definitely the two cat Felix and Oscar Lady. I'm pretty sure that's the same lady. Mm-hmm. It's been two years. Yeah. I have watched season one twice, but I don't remember. I almost forgot about um, the whole Sandpiper thing there for a while. I was thinking about it, actually, not too long ago. What's up with that? The Davis mm-hmm. and Maine thing? I mean, well, that plot line got us an interview with Ed Begley Jr., but yeah, I was wondering what was up with the Sampire case. But they did say, I think even back then, it takes years to resolve these Rico cases. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's there uh, inquiring with Mrs. Landry about the Sandpiper lawsuit. She ends up handing him the settlement paper or kind of where we're, they're at in the process. So I guess maybe it's like a progress report. Mm-hmm. And she's the, the class representative. And uh, the, way, the way he looked at it, I wasn't sure how it was going at first. I, I wasn't sure what they were getting at. Yeah, I, yeah. I would agree. And he's, uh, it turns out he's there to try to push her towards as the class representative settling the whole thing. Right. He, he, he needs some scratch mm-hmm. and I do like the, like the bringing the recall of Aaron. Oh, Aaron, yeah. Aaron is the one handling yeah. the client, bitchy Aaron client relations now. Right. She, yeah. Aaron's the girl that in season two got on him at, uh, at Davis and Maine for throwing the the Pepsi can in the garbage, and right. she reminded him to recycle the nerdy stickler girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we right. get to see uh, Rose, Myrtle, and Helen. They roll up. That's right. Yeah, try to get Mrs. Landry to go to chair yoga. Oh, chair yoga. Mm-hmm. It's good times. <laughs> At first, uh, I forgot that Jimmy was part of he he was part of the settlement. For the lawsuit, like the holding group? Yeah. I forgot he was part of that. He so, gets like the finder's fee for it. Right. So I, I thought where they were going was he kind of remembered the lawsuit and he was going to try to weasel his way in by befriending her uh. <laughs> and like borrowing money. Right. But um, but no, it turns out he's part of the common fund Yeah, that gets paid as part of the lawyers that brought the suit. One fifteenth. Yeah. Okay. So... What what is the math on that? Like I'm not a math guy, but what what is the math of that? Because fifteen times one point six one point one six million. Well, it comes se- out too. It's what, no, I'm sorry. It's total seventeen point four million is the total. Is over of equals percent over a hundred. <laughs> what was the total? Seventeen point four million. Yeah, seventeen point four million. Right. Times fifteen percent mm-hmm. is thirty nine. I didn't do that right. See, this is where this is where my math got up because it kind of insinuates that he's looking at one million one hundred sixty thousand dollars as a payout, but he says that he's one fifteenth of the he's one fifteenth of the thirty percent or something like that. So isn't that like three hundred something thousand dollars? Not no. one point. It's point oh six percent. Point oh seven percent. 
So, if you take 17.4 million times 0.07%, mm-hmm. comes out to about 1.2 million, which he says he's getting 1.16. So, if you round it off, it's pretty accurate math. Okay. Okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm not a math guy because he says he's one one fifteenth of the overall pool, but later on, he also states that he's 20% of the common fund. So, does that math match up? I don't know what the common fund is. Oh, so if he's 20%. Right. See, he, they give two. Not, and uh, it's totally possible that my math is terrible on this. Yeah, but it just seemed like the math didn't add up in my head. How is he getting one point one six million if he's only one fifteenth of the thirty percent for the common fund? But then he also mentions later on in the episode to Kim that he gets twenty percent of the common fund. So I'm not really sure how the math adds up on that. I'm not either. This is one of our moments. And I've watched it. I've watched it three times. Okay. Like I've watched the episode three times. Twice on my own. Mm-hmm. Once with me. W- and once with you. Mm-hmm. I've only watched it the one time that we watched it. Okay. And so I, uh, I, I don't understand the math. Although I guess it's, it's possible that. Well, the numbers you gave me seem to add up. Okay. One point one six million divided by seventeen point four million is in fact one fifteenth. Okay. It's point six 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 percent. Okay, so if anybody out there could correct me, because I'm pretty sure at the end when he's trying to when he's talking to Kim, he says something about how he gets twenty yeah. percent of the of the common fund. Which so that I'm math doesn't sure. add up to me. I'm not sure what that even means. I don't yeah. know what the common fund is. I think the common fund is after is what's split up after after the paid out to oh. the actors in the class action. I don't know. Okay. So if anybody out there, if the math adds up, the math adds up. These are just the notes that I made, and they made sense to me at the time when, when right. I made it. So moving on, we are at the, uh, let's see, after the uh, the gross-ass urinal opening, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we see Mike in the lobby of Madrigal Electromotive. Yeah, it's an interesting segue into the next scene. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, a segue <laughs> rolls by. I love uh, how old-fashioned Mike is completely unimpressed with the newfangled assholes on the Segway in a corporate setting. (laughs) Like, he's just kind of sitting there waiting for his meeting with Lydia, and he just kind of rolls his eyes like, oh, what the hell am I? What am I doing here? What the hell am I doing? He's so old school. Right, and it turns out this is what Gus was talking about, his hookup to get Mike the money without costing him anything. He's going to funnel Mike's $200,000 in the form of a paycheck for a consultant for uh, Madrigal. Right. Electromotive. They wanted a logistics consultant, mm-hmm. but Mike says uh, maybe I should be more of a security mm-hmm. consultant, which is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love how he inquires what's a logistics consultant, and her answer is just uh, somebody who consults about logistics. Yeah. Like, because she's kind of just unimpressed by the fact that he's there, too. Right. Like, she seems like from the get go pretty perturbed that she even has to go through this song and dance. Well, she did say this is the first. He's the first of this kind, so she doesn't really know what she's doing either. Mm-hmm. She's probably just as wary of the risks involved. Because mm-hmm. Mike's very wary, right? He's being very, very cautious about this, and he brings up good questions because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't want his real name put on the record. And right? She's like, well, you know, my my real name and everything is on the record, right? And basically, your two hundred thousand dollars, no offense, really isn't shit. It's a rounding error, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, like you, it won't look. You overestimate your importance within this scheme, my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Uh, but Mike was impressed with the office. Like he says, it's a nice office. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seemed like a pretty nice, solid. Well, there's a lot of money going through there. Yep. Uh, Mike calls Gus a drug dealer. Yeah, you're and- risking a lot for a drug dealer. Right, and she says, you know, if if you think that's all that he is, you don't know Gustavo Fring. Oh, but he will. Mm-hmm. But he will. But he will. 
Is Mike the one that almost killed Lydia? He was going to kill her, and she's like, just don't, don't let my daughter know what happened. And that kind of makes him change his mind. Yeah, you know what? I Maybe. just recently watched that episode. Probably, and then Walt ends up killing her in Breaking Bad with the Stevia. I don't remember that. Yeah, at the at the, uh, the last. I think ep- I remember being satisfied at her death. Though. I was never a big fan of that character. Well, it was the last. It was the last episode. Uh, they met in the diner, and he poisons her tea. She calls uh, Todd, who got killed in the final when he created the robot and mowed everybody okay. down. Uh-huh. And he answered the phone, and he basically says, "Oh, I, long." Basically, he's taunting her by asking her about why she doesn't feel well. Mm. And he says, I put the rice in, in that stupid stevia stuff. That it, I think he even says stupid stevia crap that uh, you throw in your tea. Huh. And basically taunts her before she dies. Wow. Uh, interesting to note, though, in Better Call Saul, right, where we're at now, Lydia tells Mike not to worry because he's just a very, he's just one person in a worldwide organization of 114,000 employees. Uh-huh. In Breaking Bad, the question of the size of the company comes up once again, and uh, because Lydia is trying to get Walt to push his meth uh-huh. through um, through Magical, yeah, through Magical, right? Because she's a logistics person, so she can move all this shit. It, uh-huh. it was like a very almost parallel description in Breaking Bad to the one she just gave in Better Call Saul, right? Right. But in Better Call Saul, she says there's 114,000 employees worldwide, right? right? In Breaking Bad. She says that there's 46,000 employees built over four, uh, 14 different divisions. Huh. Uh, I have no idea why I remember that. Yeah, that's weird. But I will put my money <laughs> on it. That I will put money on it that I'm pretty goddamn accurate. Those are the numbers. I don't know why I remember that. Well, then you know what, Brian? Hmm. You get a point. All right. I'm on the board. <laughs> so the... That means that, like, it, what in the course of uh, less than six years, they they lost, they like, downsize like quite a bit, thirty <laughs> percent, something like that. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, but this is also, you know, there's a robotic revolution going on where mm. a lot of people losing their jobs to animatronic. That'd be amazing if they somehow explain that. Maybe they will. Maybe Mike's gonna. Maybe they'll follow Mike and Gus's plotline mm. to find out how Gus ends up downsizing. Yeah. Uh, so just an interesting note. Maybe Hector I, just assassinated 50,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> interesting to know. I can't do the basic math of how, uh, of, uh, what one fifteenth of one or 17.4 million is, uh-huh. but somehow I remember that in breaking bad, it was 14 different divisions with 46,000 employees. That is weird. I have no idea what episode that is in, but you sure it wasn't 46 different divisions with 114,000 employees. No. Okay. I'm. It's possible, but I will almost put money on it that it's 14 divisions with 46,000 employees. Sounds like something that they could probably delve into in the next season. Upcoming seasons. It's like now that everybody's involved, how they lose almost two thirds of their. Yeah, okay. Could be. It's a very mathematic heavy episode. Maybe they cut off a section of the company to appease Hector somehow after he has a stroke. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you got to make the uh, the payoff money, right? Right. Sometimes <laughs> you got to buy your way out of some trouble, mm-hmm. Anthony Weiner. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so so topical, so topical. <laughs> uh, Hamlin Hamlin McGill office. Uh, the Santa Rosa Insurance Company representatives are meeting with Howard and Chuck, and uh, Howard's pissed because they want to double the premium, and he's making the case look like, like for all their attorneys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not just for Chuck. Right, like this. This came back to uh, to reflect upon the entirety of HHM, mm-hmm. and and Howard's pissed because it appears they they rarely ever use the insurance. 
Wait, he said, he said what, five cases since the doors opened or something yeah, like that? Yeah, like a, like a small handful. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what it was. I can count on one hand the number mm-hmm. of times we've actually had malpractice. Right, and issues. they give them an out, right? Santa Rosa gives them an out and says, hey, all, all you have to do is basically assign a babysitter to Chuck. Right. A senior partner to supervise Chuck. Right. Well, who's the only senior partner that's active in the company? Howard, I guess. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and Howard seemed game. He seemed like he was okay with that. Or maybe they would have promoted somebody to senior partner. Ham was mad that Chuck ended the meeting abruptly because Chuck won't play ball. Right. Yeah. Chuck basically yeah. said, I'll sue you. Right. And even though I could think of like a dozen different infractions off the top of my head. Sure he can because he's Chuck. Yeah. Right. And uh, the way uh, Patrick Fabian played that, I, I loved it. You can see him in the background. At first, he's taken aback when Chuck starts threatening. And then they say, well, if you know, you're threatening us with legal action, this meeting is over. Chuck responds, well, then it's over. And you can see, like, the flashpoint. You can see the moment yeah. in Howard's demeanor where he's like, "That mo- you motherfucker. Like, <laughs> seriously? Right? Like, he totally talked out of turn, or he just made a rash decision without consulting right. him. You, you can see it. Like, he was like, son of a... Like, dude! Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say it now. Big ups to PFAB. Mm-hmm. He really got to stretch out the acting chops in this one. He did. Pretty, pretty proud of... Pretty, like, we were so proud of the guy. You texted him. I did. I texted. I texted. It was we were watching it. I texted Patrick Fabian and uh, and told him that uh, he did uh, some great ballpark man. Yeah, some great work in this they, episode. They should be up for you. an ensemble cast Emmy this year. I really hope they are. I think they were last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, good season so far. Good season. Good. Well acted. Well written. Mm-hmm. Slow. Yep. <laughs> I do like though. Uh, before Hamlin drops the hammer on Chuck, that Chuck is like really giddy about the prospect of a legal fight. Well, yeah, he just wants to get back in the ring. Right, and th- this know? is his chance to, like, yeah. stretch out, you know, break this off is, the ring rust. We've moved on from Rocky Four to Rocky Balboa. <laughs> you know, he's, he's right. a little washed up. He's still got to get back in the ring. Right. Howard tells, uh, basically proposes that, you know, Chuck could uh, maybe do something. He could, he could be a partner. What is it, a partner emeritus or something like that? So, like, he wouldn't actually practice, but he'd still remain a partner in the firm. In name, yeah. Yeah, because after all, you know, like, Al McConnell's a professor. Right. <laughs> and, uh, hell, Chuck, you've always wanted to write about the Commerce Clause. Which I'm wondering, listeners, if you remember, Kim calls a professor to ask for some information on how to deal with Jimmy's situation, I think it was. Oh. Um, and she's saying, you know, thanks, professor. She hangs up the phone. I was going to go back and check, but if anybody wants to see uh, if that's the same professor, that'd be kind of an interesting little. Yeah. Tidbit. Like if, if she was talking to Al McConnell. Yeah. Nice. All right. Then maybe we'll get to see Al McConnell someday. All right. It's hmm. not a bad, I'd give you a point if we could be definite, but that's a really good, that's... But I'm not, I'm leaving this one up to our very, very graciously interactive Twitter followers mm-hmm. or social media, anybody. social media, like all over the goddamn place. Yeah. Awesome. Chuck doesn't appreciate the suggestion that he should stop down, step down, and Howard just kind of put it out there. He's like, "Well, what if it's not a suggestion? What if it's not a suggestion? Yeah, like yeah. breaks. <laughs> yeah, this is not what normal looks like. Yeah, and then things had to get real, right? Because right. Howard is like, uh, I can't be a partner with somebody that I can't trust her judgment. Right. Which has just got to be a super blow to the ego for Chuck. Oh, absolutely. This whole thing is about him trying to get people to trust him again. Mm-hmm. Like, how dare you, sir? How dare you? How dare you? That's like pistols at dawn kind of talk. Mm-hmm. De- demand satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> One little glove slap. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, real quick, in duels, for some reason I was reading about dual strategy, Just uh-huh. and uh, 
Did you know one of the most common strategies involved in a duel was turn and fire? It would be to turn, but not fire. Because That's- pistols were so unreliably inaccurate back then, uh-huh. the chance was that the person you were dueling against would miss right. or hit you in the arm or something. But they can't move until you But fire. they can't move, so you can line up your shot and pick them off. That's what, that was Andrew Jackson's strategy. That's why he's such a badass. Oh, because he, he, he took, took one to the chest. He always let the other guy fire first. Yeah. And then he takes one to the chest and then puts one like right between the guy's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then goes on to become president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the way the way it should be. That's so funny. We had a president that couldn't get out of the shadow of smoking dope one time. Another president used to murder people in duels. Simpler, simpler, <laughs> simpler time back then. <laughs> simpler time back then. That's when America was great. That's right. Maybe that's what Donald Trump means when we're going to make America great again. We're just going to start duels. <laughs> we're going to start black powder pistol duels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah now we're talking. <laughs> Now we're talking. I'll be Throwing slapping knives. I'll be slapping people with gloves all day. <laughs> I'm cutting all people on the highway yeah. just to start it. Yeah, somebody's gonna get me eventually, but I, I think I could pick off a few before I before somebody takes me out. Evan Buh. All right, in the oil fields, <laughs> uh, Kim's working with Gatwood, and pretty much what's going on there is as he was drilling, one of the underground deposit walls broke and caused some of the oil to go into the neighboring state of New Mexico, right from Texas. So now the the people who own the claim rights in New Mexico want a cut of his money. Right. And she comes up with an idea like, well, instead of paying all the taxes and such and paying them for the rights, just offer them damages on their deposit wall. Call that a win-win. Call it a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. They just be done with it. They get money. You're not paying taxes and you get the oil. Yeah, and the key to that is to do it super early, too, because if they have time to, to think about it and they see all the profits or whatever that this company is making, they're going to want a part of the bigger all pie. But like at the beginning, before any of that comes to light, it really gets pushed in their head. Be like, hey, we screwed up. I'm just going to give you this amount of money for your damages, and we'll call it a day. Right. And uh, good move. Good little bit of lawyering's right there. And side note, mm-hmm. ponytail game on point, my my friend. Spiraling like a drill bit. <laughs> Indeed. I uh, I didn't like that her car got stuck. I my here's my note on that car stuck parentheses yeah right. Why? Why did the car get stuck? Honestly, to set up later in the show. Yeah, <laughs> there, there is you know the whole yeah. like stopping the car before it hits something. Mm-hmm. And she gave it a hell of a push, and it seemed like pretty flat land. Did, you, that was not a strong enough push to get it out of that. Ditch. And and at first, <laughs> at, at first I thought it was an idle, and that's why it kept rolling. Uh huh. But she started the car uh-huh. after she jumped in and pumped the brakes. Right. So, no, she started the car. She just didn't turn the. She just didn't take the car out of gear. Apparently. Right. So she. Well, she got right. So it was idling. I thought it was idling. She just didn't take the car out of gear, so it's idling. So you got a little bit of constant pressure on the tires. So once mm-hmm. you knock it loose, it'll climb itself out of the hole. Oh, maybe that's right. I I thought she started the car again to leave after she hopped in and hit the brakes. Ah. It kind of gave the sigh of relief that it didn't hit the. Oh, no, she didn't start the car again. She just okay, slammed on the so brakes. Okay, so then I, I missed that strike that from the record. Unless we're I, wrong, you guys can correct us, but I'm pretty sure that she had it in idle to help herself. My whole thing is always put the car in neutral when you're trying to get it out of a stuck spot. Mm-hmm. Or somebody's in the car. I've done the, I've done the wooden post thing before. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they were going to send it flying or something. Yeah, I, I like the, the chunk of wood, you were, it was yeah. going to like hit an oil derrick or something. Right. <laughs> no. But, uh, yeah, because then we kind of laughed about how dramatic it was. But then mm-hmm. once the episode ends, you realize why this scene even took place. Right. But it's a good allegory, my friend, because it shows that Kim 
is quite literally losing control. Losing control and has car problems. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm, quite. Yes, Maybe. and as, as focused and as determined and responsible as she is, sometimes you just can't control everything. Mm-hmm. Deep. The more you know. <laughs> I just did a star wipe with my hand, by the way. Late night at HHM, Howard pulls in, and uh, I like how they framed it there, because Howard exits his vehicle, not a care in the world, and you can see Jimmy in the background kind of standing there just waiting for his, his moment to pounce. Like, you, you right. see him, he, he goes from kind of just standing there to like jumping you know what i mean like he, he yeah. was like stationed ready to go it wasn't like he he was like antsy mm-hmm. you know like kind of inching forward howard as howard was leaving the car like howard it was business it, casual it's like he, he it's like he waited for howard to hit his mark before he went into what he was going to do it's almost like he planned the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah mm. almost almost it was almost. close though yeah uh Hamlin's onto him though. Oh yeah, he sees right through him. Calls him a beggar, pretty much. Did he? Well, he says, "What are you, you looking for?" You know, he exposes oh, him. For a he hand says, out. "Right, you're you're just here for the settlement." And Wait. he gives him a warning. He's like, "And the, the first thing Howard says to Jimmy is this: Is this about Chuck?" And Jimmy's response is, "Who?" And they just move on from it. Yeah, but Howard knows Jimmy's looking out for himself. Right, probably looking for a handout. And Howard probably empathizes a little bit because he's kind of having the same feelings right now. Well, kind of, except it's it kind of invoked a little dickhead Howard there. Mm-hmm. And he kind of got, he's not a fan of Jimmy's anymore, obviously. Right. Like, that bridge has been burned. Yeah, he's like, are you looking for a paid out? And Paul's like, I don't know how much it was, but it wasn't very much. Probably a couple hundred yeah, or something. Probably like a counterfeit 50 or something. Yeah, it, it looked like it looked like Jimmy thought hard about taking it, though. I didn't get that at all. I thought he instantly turned it down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought he instantly turned it down. Like, screw you, dude. I'm not looking for a handout from you. Ah, uh, okay. I, I saw it as like maybe for a fleeting second he thought, you know what, maybe I should take this. Then, nah, I think I think there's too much animosity in there right mm-hmm. now. Too much of trying to use each other for their own gain, mm-hmm. as it will. All right. Like talking to Gollum. Mm-hmm. I thought a Gollum was a monster, right? Yeah, a Gollum is a, it's a clay monster where you give it instructions, mm-hmm. and then it does your bidding for you. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Simpsons taught me that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I that's that's, that's what I was under, yeah. under the impression. So I guess that means there's, there's transparency because it does exactly what you tell it to do. There's no mm-hmm. there's no subtext. There's no hidden agendas. Ah, uh, there you go. So you know it's I mean? it's obvious. I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Hector and Gus have a sit down. Don Eladio's guy is uh is calling. I like your your comment. There was Hector's like. The Zippo was like a ticking clock. Yeah, yeah. It was very yeah. rhythmatic, right? It was like, ch- ch- mm-hmm. click, ch- ch- click. Everything in threes, it's a magic number. Yeah, man. Like, but Yes, yeah. they're, they are totally waiting on a phone call. Mm-hmm. From Don Eladio's minions. So when it, one of Don Eladio's minions, because he, he refers to our friend by the pool. Right. Which I didn't realize that they're in business with lifeguards. <laughs> you said that you actually said that one oh, but it's even funnier coming from somebody else uh, pretty much the whole point of it is is uh don eladio likes hector's way or gus's way of doing things mm. and he's like you know what that's just gonna that's just how we're gonna move everything it's it's going so smoothly right now we're not gonna mm-hmm. we're not gonna shake this ship we're not gonna rock this boat <laughs> we're not gonna rock this boat things are going smoothly so let's just uh keep it this is the new status quo 
Mm-hmm. Which Hector's not happy about. Hector is not happy. He's so jealous of Gus. Well, All he wants to do is be loved. No, I think he just wants to make money. And be loved. He, no, he, <laughs> he totally wants the approval of Don Eladio. He does. He he does. Perhaps. But is it is it for approval's sake, or is it to move up within the cartel? I think it's just for overall validation of everything. He is kind of a shitty person. Yeah, well, Hector, yeah, he's a, he's a dickhead, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? But he, he not only wants to move up, but he wants Don Eladio to appreciate Mm-hmm. You know how he does things as well, and then here comes Gus, who, you know, they have a history and they don't like each other. But Gus just keeps one upping them at right. every turn, right? He's Remember better, the he's better than him, the money, the bales of money. You know, and, right. and I like uh, this is like Amadeus Mozart and that guy that he used to have a battle with, Elton John. Yeah, two yeah. pianists going at it, <laughs> two huge pianists going at it. <laughs> Candle in the wind. <clears throat> Just kidding. It wasn't Elton John. It was Liberace. So, so they were, um, uh, yeah. So, so pretty much every time Hector tries to perform at his best, Gus performs at his best. It's the redheaded stepchild thing. Every time you bring something, hey, look what I got you. You know, mm-hmm. look what I did. Aren't you proud of me? And then the real son comes along. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I Gus downplays it. Yeah, he's like, dude, it's, I, it's, I didn't it's even not, like. I didn't even want this. It's like somebody that wins like an Oscar or something. It's like, oh me, yeah, <laughs> me. Oh, I, I had no idea. Like somebody that wins all state in football and doesn't even like the sport. Okay, guy sounds like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think that Gus isn't doing it to screw Hector, but this is after Hector had his friend killed, right? That wasn't yeah. If you do the timeline right, because way before yeah, that was like Saul. in 1989. So right? he is doing it to screw Hector, right? Like, it's not just to be a good businessman and make the most money, right? But he's playing it off like coincidentally. Right. He's just do. He's just like he's trying to like keep it professional on the on the surface. Like I feel like Gus is like keeps pretending like he he struck gold on accident when really he surveyed and planned that shit out. You right. know what I mean? Right. But he, he, yeah, he, like he knew where the deposits he, were. He's the kind of guy, he's like me when it comes to sports. I'm not a shit talker. You don't rub it in people's faces. You just let the results speak for themselves because mm-hmm. that's so much worse, honestly. Right. You let him stew on it and let him make a big deal out of it. But mm-hmm. inside, Gus is like, yeah. Yeah. I got you. Right. A <laughs> uh, couple interesting things I, I noticed uh, was there was a part there when when Hector was having his little breakdown or stroke or f- infarction or whatever he was having, mm-hmm. heart uh, attack. Yeah, Nacho and Gus like locked eyes. Yeah, there was something. There was something about that. I wonder if it was just the way that that Nacho, because Nacho was kind of keeping an eye on Hector as it was happening, mm-hmm. and uh, and Gus maybe Gus noticed that. Yeah, like put two and two together, and for a split second they locked eyes. Yeah, and I thought that that was. That was sparks that, flew, visions of white picket fences happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, it was very romantic. Heart, heart rates rising, <laughs> right, beads of sweat across the mm-hmm. brow. Mm-hmm. The most romantic of all the Better Call Saul episodes by yes, far. Yeah, <laughs> that moment, that was the most romantic moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just interesting. Just interesting. I'm sure that'll come into play later. Yeah, I really think there's something going on mm-hmm. with them. But Hector does stroke out. Mm-hmm. That's what I called it. Nice and. Uh, it seems like, okay, this is what it seemed like to me, is that he took the pill and felt better. I think he had some sort of placebo effect when he took the pill, because then he's like, takes the pill, and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck everybody, 
right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of our comments, I don't think we addressed this in Pop, but I think I saw some comments that he wasn't putting poison in the pills that like we mm-hmm. said. He's just putting ibuprofen in the pills, so it does nothing. So it, it might be that he's not getting the correct dosage of whatever he needs over a period of time. Right. Well, I think that we thought it was going to happen immediately, right. and it's not. He's going to have some placebo effect that's going to make him feel better, but it's not really making him any better. Mm-hmm. So eventually it'll, you know, get to that point. Yeah. But I think so, temporarily he is going to have that, I keep saying placebo effect. but Right. Yeah. And then sometime down the road, you know, that's probably when Nacho's right. going to have to again switch the pills out when the intended consequence happens, right. which is hinted at later in this episode. Exactly. Exactly. But good call on all, all the listeners saying that it was, you know, it was just ibuprofen. It wasn't poison. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, or maybe it'll happen next episode. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Power walking Jimmy's at the mall. <laughs> Power walking Jim. Yeah, in front of the Lids and Aeropostale store. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, what did I write? Oh, the Aristotle store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Lids and Aeropostale. And I was like, wait, that, those places are still around? Oh, yeah, this is 2001. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't seen an Aeropostale t-shirt in like five years. <laughs> I like how... Uh, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, I think it's Aeropostale. Aeropostale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Airmail. Must be, must be Italian. Yeah, airmail. <laughs> um, Postal. <laughs> it is. Aeropostale. It's, ah. it's airmail, man. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll when, go with it. You did notice that the, the super subtle... Uh, this, Super subtle crazy eight sign in the background, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually clever. I like that. Yeah. The, the crazy eight store. Yeah. The big giant green and yellow crazy eight. So that's why they call him crazy eight. Cause he must get a job there mm-hmm. after the, uh, Tampico. Well, yeah. Well, he, he's been employee business. of the month for quite a while. Does so. he work? Irene catches up with Jimmy. It's pretty coincidental that she runs into Jimmy twice in one week. Yeah. Strangely. Yeah. Odd. Strangely. It's almost like he set that up. <laughs> I like how he way overcompensated for what was going on. Oh, had yeah. The track he, he suit he totally and everything. had to look the part. Like, yeah, the yeah. headband. Like, oh, yeah. Woo. A little overboard, in my opinion. Yeah. Really into it. Poser. <laughs> Poser. But he does manage to uh, gift her a pair of those sweet-ass rock, rocking soul power walking shoes. And Irene calls him a mall walker. Yeah. Which I think that's a vampire that shops at Hot Topic. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. I'll give you a point for that. <laughs> I was also going to try and make a joke about how like Jimmy dressed up as a uh, as a mall walker. Mm-hmm. It's like how people at Hot Topic when they get into goth, they just go all out and get everything right, yeah, goth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also the way that Jimmy was dressed, if a dance battle broke out, he would have been really prepared for that. Pre nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Pre nineteen ninety two. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that you I know, don't think tra- I don't think hip hop groups wore track suits since like Run DMC broke up. Yeah, but when Jimmy McGill was a kid in Cicero, Illinois, that's right. You know, he was laying down cardboard boxes on the street. Yeah, course. man, with ghetto blasters mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, man. Chuck was probably laying down the the beat boxing. Yeah, that's how that's <laughs> how it's done, dude. Um, now, I like how he had just multiples. Like every shoe size of of the so rocky shoes. To shoes. cover all of his bases, he just went and bought one of every size. So that way, once he found out Irene's size, he can get her the right. Yeah, size. Yeah, maybe MBT has a really awesome return policy. Apparently, because <laughs> wow, that's a whole trunk full of shoes. Mm-hmm. Where do you get the money for that? Mm. Loan. Can't pay seven hundred dollars. He got from the guy that let him out of community. <laughs> there you service. go. That's probably where he got the money. Like, oh, you can't pay your you can't pay your junior college uh, film crew. 
That's right. Without without uh, sweating about it, but you could buy every shoe. Well, this <laughs> is all after he got that seven hundred dollars. This is how I play Monopoly, man. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get some cash rolling in, you reinvest it. Mm. You can always mortgage that house later. Nice. That's right. That's true. Tyrantula Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Tyrantula Doug has been sitting there this entire time. <laughs> but this is clever how he plays off the whole, like, you should have these shoes. They're so comfortable. He gets her to take them as all part of his elaborate scheme. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep using the fact that he's playing long games because I have something later on. Okay. But yes. Um... And then he yeah convinces her to take it. Now now Irene's walking around with some nice brand new shoes, mm-hmm. shoving yeah. it in people's faces without even knowing. Yeah, kind of like my belly when I walk through a crowded theater. <laughs> I like the uh, the horn rendition of popcorn. Yeah, I thought that was cool because I'm sitting there trying to think like, what is that song? And then yeah. you're like, oh, popcorn. Yeah, do, 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 do. because popcorn is a song that keeps getting faster every time it comes around. Is that what it is? I think so. I just I've remember heard versions like that. I just remember our perennial third mic, Jeff, and I, when we lived together, he had a techno version of that song. Hilarious. And he would lock his room, turn up his computer speakers, and play on loop the techno version of Popcorn while he went to work. So all day, that's all you would hear emanating from the room was... That's an insane waste of resources. Well, what was nice about it was during Christmas time, he would do the same thing, but with that super shitty Mariah Carey song. Is that why you hate that song so much? I fucking hate that song. (laughs) That song is so stupid. All I want for Christmas is the key to Jeff's room. (laughs) Poor Irene, though, man. Yeah, I honestly really felt for her. Yeah. she's. I mean, I don't know. She's such a sweet lady. <laughs> she's a grandma, but yeah, she's because she's nothing but nice. She has nothing but the best of intentions. She's yep. just being manipulated like old people are. Yeah, you know, there's a reason that the Nigerian prince email scheme's been still active for 20 years. First time that I thought um, Saul's character was truly a dick. Not for me. I mean, he's done some some. I mean, what he did to his brother is pretty bad. But, yeah, but like but I, to somebody who really, but I can really somewhat understand that because it. there's some animus there. Well, like there's saying. like there's like a lifelong like struggle yeah. between the two of them. This is just we don't Irene being, being a dick to somebody who truly doesn't deserve it. Yeah, yeah, she's really just a victim. Yeah, double victim. Sandpiper for screwing her. Yeah, and this little lady's getting game banked. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see Nacho uh, confront his dad at, at his dad's house. Is Nacho living with his dad? That's what I, I couldn't figure out. Because he kicks him out. Yeah, he says, get out of my house. I wasn't sure if that just meant, like, in that instance. Or... Yeah, I don't know if he... if Because, he, I mean, he's sitting there with, like, a glass of milk. Mm-hmm. Which is something you do at home. Right? Yeah. Also, I don't think we've seen where Jimmy lives. Yeah, he has an apartment. He has his own apartment? he still has that apartment from the second season. Well, no, because that's the Davidson main apartment that they gave him. I thought he had another apartment after that. No? Mm, I don't think so. I thought he had the Davidson main apartment with all the weird like wicker mm. yarn balls. Yeah, that he was throwing in the air, right? And I and we haven't seen him go back to the salon. Hmm. So I wonder where Jimmy lives, unless he's living with Kim full time. Maybe, maybe, Does maybe he show up at her house when she. I don't know. This is probably something that's been addressed and we just forgot. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, yep. Whole point of the scene is Nacho has to come clean and tell his dad, like, hey, this bad dude's going to come in and basically strong arm you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what you want to do and what you're, you know, I, I know what you're, but don't do it. Don't do in, it. In a weird way, 
in a weird way, Nacho was so stone cold. It was like almost like he was threatening his own dad. I didn't also interpret it differently. This was a bite the bullet situation. He had to. He was maintaining his nerves because it's really hard to come clean to your parents about stuff like that. Well, what what got me? You know, it was a, such a tough conversation to have. Right. He had to just like maintain and and be serious and show his dad how serious this is. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't realize he his dad already knew about a previous relationship with the cartel. But I I saw there was there's one where it stuck to me, and he says, "Do not do." anything stupid right and his dad doesn't say anything and he says promise me right or something yeah like that. it's like promise me do not do anything stupid right and then he kind of breaks a little bit and he's like please yeah you know what i mean that's, so it's I like that's it was, why i got the uh, I'm, I'm thinking he's just being like like trying to convey the serious super serious about it mm-hmm. yeah like dude like seriously seriously yeah don't don't you know not not that he's threatening him Mm-hmm. But he's saying that you will it will be a threat if you don't listen to me. Right. And uh, it turns out his dad knew that he's worked for the Salamancas before. Yeah. Yeah, because he says, I'm working with him again. Yeah. And then uh, get out of my house. Mm-hmm. I loved how uh, Michael Mandel played that pretty stone cold. I like that. Yeah, stone cold because he's got a habit of breaking air conditioners. Mm-hmm. Pointless detail that I noticed for some reason. Um Nacho's dad has a fire extinguisher hanging on the wall of their kitchen. Interesting. So it's good to see him being safe. Must be a shitty cook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, safety is fun for everyone. What it's- do you think, Tyrantula Dog? You're a safety manager. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that is all. <laughs> Back at HHM, Julie is pacing, waiting to give the letter to Howard. Doing the pee-pee dance, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, she... Uh, Says, you know, I, I was told to hand this and have you read it as soon as possible. As soon as I saw somebody standing with a letter, I mm. knew that Chuck was going to sue. You think so? Oh, I, well, 100%. I, I, I was like, know. oh, he's suing him. Like, I said that audibly. Yeah. I was did. like, I was like, like the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, well, Chuck is suing him because I, yeah. I figured there's no way Chuck is just going to accept that. But then. See, I, I was kind of letting it. I didn't really have a thought on it. Honestly. I was watching Howard's reaction. Right, and his Howard's react- reaction was like, "Oh yeah, this is like a good letter from Chuck. Like, I'm going to take your offer and retire." Right. Yeah, you're you're bowing out gracefully because right. he was even trying to set up the retirement party. Right. Like, you know, get a band and go to some restaurant that's classy or whatever. Right. Like, make it happen. Right. That's right. Here he starts making the plans in his head. Right. And he opens the letter, reads it for a second. Yeah. Super disappointed. Much like my applications from uh, Wesley College. <laughs> Disappointing. But the thing is, is like... Wesley College is an all-girls school. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was disappointing because you didn't get into a school. I didn't know that it was... No, all- it's an all-girls school. That's- gotcha. All right. But all I would right. open it with anticipation mm. and then be supremely disappointed. Ah, gotcha. Okay. I, I can understand. Yeah. Just I, got- don't think- I don't think he was disappointed. Yeah, he was. He was pissed. Well, he's pissed, but that's different than disappointed. Okay, fine. Yeah, it, it, I, I guess what surprised me is that Howard didn't see that coming a million miles away. Right, kind of like your reaction to my joke. Why would he give... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why would he even give him the benefit of a doubt? He knows who the guy is. Yeah. There, there's there's no reason he should have realistically, especially after the way that it ended. 
yeah. where Chuck waved him off before he went out the door. Yeah. There's no way Howard should have been like, you know what? I bet he's going to take the high road on yeah. this, and he's going to send me a letter saying, thank you for the opportunity. Right. You know what, Brian? <laughs> I look forward I look forward to your references on my future <laughs> applications. There's no way. You know what, Brian? Point for you. Thank you. Yeah, because that is that's kind of we feel out of character. I think, or it, it shouldn't. He shouldn't feel that way, right? Yeah, he should know better. Yeah, he should know better. That's right. The same. So then he, he hops right off to go see Chuck. Yeah, and uh, now I, I think that's a smash cut. You can say smash cut. Smash now. cut to Chuck's house. I did like um, you know, he's like you're suing me. Uh. Uh-huh. Chuck invites him in. Mm-hmm. I love that Howard stormed in the house, ready for confrontation, and then was taken aback that the lights were on. Yeah, this is all. This is. It wasn't like an angry condescending, like "Oh, the lights are on." Like he, no. he was like, "He turned the lights on." He was yeah. genuinely surprised. Like, yeah, it took a lot of steam out of his. <laughs> right, <laughs> he, like he was which, shocked. Which Chuck knew probably would happen. Like, I have to show that I'm over this mm-hmm. to get back on. You know, so people to trust me. So he's yeah. Now he's faking. Mm-hmm. Faking that he's cured, yeah, you know, but yeah, it totally took like the wind out of his sails because mm-hmm. because that's a big part of his argument gone, right? And I love, yeah, because he says like I, I told you I'm better, right? Hundred <laughs> percent better. We just we just Which talked about this way. It got me for a second too because I was I was in on that until he starts shaking his hand after Howard leaves. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, maybe he is hundred percent better. Well, he, they hinted at that back. They shut the lights off after the meeting. Yeah, and he yeah. like, or he turned them on, and he held the weird ass like arch lamps on the right. table, and then he shakes. Yeah, shakes that, his hand that was the whole. This is not normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, um, I like, you know, Chuck explains. Well, uh, fuck you, dude, because I built this place with your right. father. It's my firm. Yeah. yeah, your father had a two room office before I came along, and look what I did. And then also, you got to buy me out if I do leave, and yeah. you don't have the eight million dollars to do that. We both right. know that. Right. And Howard's like, you would rather tear down HHM. Yeah. You know, there's another character in the show that's uh, that's willing to tear down huge organizations to see that they get theirs. Mm. Mm. Who, would, who would that be? I think his name's Jimmy McGill. Mm. Aren't they related somehow? Something like that. Yeah. Something mm. like Interesting. that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like it's the point of the show. Yeah. That Chuck becomes Jimmy. Jimmy becomes Chuck. You know, we should write... Uh, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and tell them to go in that direction. <laughs> I mean, they already took our name of the podcast for the name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For, for the, for the, the, name of the, the idea for Chuck to, or for, for, oh yeah, as the idea for Jimmy to explain where his name comes mm-hmm. from. Yes. Yep. Uh, I love the line. Um, if you think I'm trouble now as your partner, imagine me as your enemy. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Big That's what they guy. needed. They just needed like about four or five people to jump in the scene and be like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> you got that meme, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah um, I'm. I'm not. I mean, th- this show does use a lot of cheesy uh, dialogue and stuff like that because mm-hmm. that stuff like that said in a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. But it's a very good point. Yeah, Chuck goes hard. Very good point. Chuck go hard. Chuck go hard. Chuck go hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wrote here, <laughs> Jimmy. There's the episode name. Jimmy plants a card. Chuck goes hard. Kim can't drive a car. No, nah, that's what we're using. Okay. <laughs> that's the description. That's what we're using. Okay. Uh, I did write in uh, big letters, uh, Chuck giving zero fucks. So it went from fuck yeah. Chuck to Chuck gives no fucks. Right. Fuckless Chuck. 
Fuckless Chuck. Fuckless Chuck. Slipping. From fuck Chuck to fuckless Chuck. That's right. Right. Chuck's fucking now. Mm-hmm. He's done being fucked. He's going to start fucking again. Yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy's rigging the bingo balls. Magnetizing I did not know that you could. With primer? Or no, sorry. Magnetic okay. primer. Did not know there was such a thing. What? I don't know the practical application for it. Uh, apparently. I so- wish we had prizes because I would love for a listener to tell us some practical applications for magnetic primer. Mm-hmm. That we could reward them with. outside of rigging bingo balls, right? <laughs> outside a, of rigging bingo, ball, bingo balls and um, maybe making a screwdriver that keeps the screw attached. Yeah, it was nice to see Jimmy host bingo again. It was. He's he's got a lot of personality. I love the clutter, the clever witticisms mm-hmm. that he attaches to the calls. Right. Yeah. Which I'm not like B12. Yeah. My favorite vitamin. That's right. B12. <laughs> or like B something. Yeah, then there was uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there was like a war reference in there too that they would only get it was yeah. like in World War Two. Yeah, he, uh, they did they did good. Yeah, clever. Clever just, clever. just taps into his personality. Yeah. But Irene, wow. Irene, Irene is still the pariah, man. Yeah, comes in. Nobody wants to talk to her, but Paul wins. Bingo. Oh my god, I got bingo. You know, and it was good to see some character development for Paul. It's been a while That's since right. we've checked in with him. So it Yeah, it's good. good to see it's good to see that Paul's still uh Mm-hmm. He's still healthy enough to go out and uh, you yeah. Know, he's socialize. an underrated character, you know. It's good to yeah. see him getting some developments, and and he's one shitty prize richer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it like in the first episode? We saw that somebody won like a binder with a cat on it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a Felix or Oscar? Yeah. So uh, after after Paul wins, Jimmy hands out the rig card to Irene. This is where I dr- I groan because audio guy tired of the mic. Every time you show a microphone, it's got a feedback. Yeah, hit, right. We talked about yeah, that, right? There isn't a single sound guy in the history of TV that can get a microphone from stopping the feedback when there is no circular uh, flow of the signal to mm-hmm. throw it back into the microphone, which it is should what just sound like a thud, right? Like just like boom. yeah, like this. <laughs> did you hear it feedback? I did not hear a feedback. Nope. But on a, uh, I didn't, I didn't hear a feedback. But on a side note, I'm sitting next to your acoustic guitar hanging on the wall. Yes. And everything I say, I can, especially with my voice, with I your can hear bombastic deep voice. Yeah, I can it hear it go. That bass guitar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like I'm playing it with my voice. <laughs> you technically are. You're making uh, the strings vibrate. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> That's confusing for the listeners. Yeah, I like the length that Jimmy went through to hide the rig bingo balls. Like there would be any real life, any right. real life repercussions. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it would ruin his credibility within because the. Because that's such a hard talk out. Like, why do you have this thing full of bingo balls? Oh, they're extras. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but here's my, the little thing that was gri- the magnet. Mm-hmm. Did he put that magnet in there then to get it to catch up the tube? Because you notice every ball was getting caught by a magnet. Yeah, I guess so. Also, maybe it's for time purposes, but really all five in a row. Come on. No, well, he just wanted to (laughs) just by odds because uh, true story, my wife and I, we play bingo. We're always the youngest people there by like 30 years, but we think Mm -hmm. it's hilarious and it is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're they're, um, So, I mean, but there are usually because otherwise the games would last for hours. Just so just by sheer numbers, people usually win it by like the sixth, seventh before the 10th ball call. Okay. Like that's not that uncommon. Okay. So he he was just solidifying his chances. Plus, yeah. it makes her look even worse because everybody's already mad at her for getting the shoes. Right. right? Like now she's got a five so now, play bingo. Yeah. Now she has. Yeah. Now now on top of everything, she's the luckiest person in the world and wins 
fucking bingo on the first five balls right. that she was there for. Flawless victory style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Gotcha. Irene wins. <laughs> Babality. <laughs> And nobody's happy for. Her. No, well, at first I thought well, it was like, like two people clapping. Yeah, but like I mean, it, but that's like me and you at a place where nobody's clapping. You know, mm-hmm. the sarcastic. Yeah, somebody's got to clap. Yeah, but it, it went from her initial small group of five friends or whatever it was to the entirety of everybody that Mall walks with her. Well, yeah, word gets around fast in old folks' homes. Yeah, and now the entire community turned against poor Irene, which is sad. It is sad. She's devastated. Hold on a second. Such, okay, we're going. We're good. Such a shiny moment. Such, taken away from her. I just feel so bad for Irene, man. Poor Irene. Come on, Irene. <laughs> Were you trying to think of the next lyrics? I was doing. Oh, no, because it's come on, Eileen. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> We're going to go right from that into come on, Irene, to. And you know what's funny? Is on the notes, I wrote. So cruel, right? I wrote so cruel. Mm-hmm. Jimmy pretends to give a shit and goes talk to her. Mm-hmm. And she confides in him, they've all turned on me. They're so cruel. And I was like, ah, like poor Irene. Yeah. Like, you got to feel Irene. bad for Irene. I, I, I really, really do. Yeah. And uh, this is all just so Jimmy can push her into settling. Mm-hmm. Selfish bastard. Yeah. But he, and he does the right move when she's like, what should I do? And he has the opportunity to be like, do it. He says, no, listen to your heart. Right. Listen to your heart. Make everybody else happy. Yeah, yeah. And it's totally, yeah, just so manipulative. Mm-hmm. So manipulative. This whole thing's manipulation. Mm-hmm. Rough, man. It is. I want to know the time frame from when he showed up with the cookies to this moment, how long he worked that con. It's at least three days, right? Probably three they, days. They showed at least three days of power walking. He's moving quick. Right. And they also went to chair yoga at least a couple times, mm. right? They went to, they invited him to chair yoga. Mm. And then he was also at chair yoga with the other girls telling them mm-hmm. about her good fortune and her being the class representative. I didn't think he didn't go to chair yoga with, with Irene. No, not with the other girls. Yeah. With yeah. Myrtle and all them. Right. Yeah. Good. And then one line I didn't like during all that though, is he threw in the like, Hey, well, you know, what's extra money when you have the moral high ground? Mm. Yeah. A little underhanded there. Because not only does he, like, push them to not like her, he becomes one of the mean girls. <laughs> right. So manipulative. Yeah. I, 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 hopefully on the uh, Insider podcast, the uh, the official Better Call Saul Insider podcast, I, I hopefully they address the time frame that Jimmy, probably a week, I would assume. Something like that, probably. Probably a week. Rough. Rough to watch. Kim's in uh, the, uh, the McGill-Wexler office putting together her binders. Uh, she's on point, man. She knew that one of the binders out of all of them was missing uh, the survey history. Yeah, she is on her game. She is. She, she really she, is. She's really stretching herself out, mm-hmm. but she is on her game. Yep. Jimmy walks in with the Zafiro bottle, call back to Breaking Bad, and uh, whatever episode that was, where maybe 201, maybe, where they take advantage of Ken Wins. Oh, that's that super expensive uh, tequila. Right. That that Gus used to kill Don Eladio and his cronies in Breaking Bad. Oh. Remember? And then that was also oh. that was also what they bought in uh, the Ken Wins episode. Okay. Remember they drank like a whole bottle. It was like a $700 yeah. bottle or something crazy like that. Okay. Yeah. Where did Jimmy get weird... the money for that? Yeah. They haven't settled yet. 
Yeah. Where's he getting all this money from? I don't know. What's he, must, he been selling? Must be. Must be. He's good. got a settlement. He probably he got paid off from the Sklar brothers. Oh yeah, the, I forgot about the, that. Al- Albuquerque. Oh, ABQ and Tune. AB, from the the guys from ABQ and Tune. Yeah. Okay. So he has a little bit of he has a little bit of capital yeah. to so fund. That must this. not have went to court. He must have taken us on the spot. Well, payout, yeah, right? I would assume right because yeah. remember part of his whole scam was is. Oh, you don't have insurance, like you, yeah, they must have paid in full thousand bucks, so they probably just wrote him a check right there and right. agreed to buy the. Yeah, too bad that apparently put an end to Saul Goodman Productions. Mm-hmm. Would like to see that. It's a bummer. A little more. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Yep. He he announces to Kim that hey, our troubles are over. Uh, they're settling, and Kim's taken aback. Well, she ain't got time for that. But she she does get taken aback by it because she's like, wait, yeah, like so class soon? actions don't move that fast, right? I don't know if she was legitimately surprised that a class action moved that fast, yes. or she was a little bit suspicious on how that happened so quickly because yes. they don't. Like I feel like I that both. was an appropriate response in both ways, yeah. but but the way I interpreted her looking at him because she she already has like doubts, like you had a hand in this, yeah, yeah, like what's going on? I felt here? the same way. Right, and he played such a long con; it'd be hard for anybody to really guess how he did it, except for, yeah, except for him. Yeah, so I, I felt like she knows that something's up, but she doesn't have time for it because right, no, she's late. She got she got shit to do. Yeah, and I my note here was I think Jimmy would be more understanding. He's really this is kind of like I don't know if it's just pushing on the selfishness more. Mm-hmm. How it's all about him, right? Because he's like, you got five minutes. You're already late. You can be later. You know, you already yeah. got five minutes, and it's like I, I would think, yeah. That so drive sixty five miles given, per hour and leave at six thirty or right. whatever it was. Yeah. But given everything that he's done for her so far, I would I wouldn't think he'd want to distract her from this, right? You know, from this situation. Like he'd he'd be like, oh my bad, get the fuck out of here, go, <laughs> yeah. your, you know, go to your I meeting. Love, uh, yeah, he keeps pressing it. Yeah, like acting kind of like a, like, hey, pay attention to me, listen to me, and I love yeah. how she's just like, all right, take everything you were gonna say. And tell me later. Right. <laughs> exactly. I got to go. I got to go. Yeah. She's 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 on uh she's on a mission. So then he tells uh Brenda. Francesca. He tells Francesca. Shots. Yeah. Shots, shots, shot, 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 shot. Turn down for what? <laughs> I like I uh she she's uh doesn't she me- I, I think she mentions that she doesn't typically do shots. And she does the shot, and I, yeah. I love like the expression on her face. Where it's like in Chicago, we have a drink called Malort, oh, Lord. and it, it's it's made out of wormwood, and it tastes terrible. But that is literally the appeal of Malort is that it tastes like eating a lemon after you just brush your teeth. Yeah, it's it's. I had a description of it on the Nothing Important podcast. Mm-hmm. Something about wringing a wet used sock through a diaper. Yeah, yeah, it's. Anybody out Terrible. there, if you come to Chicago, you will find it at any bar. It's called Malort. There is always a bottle at Third City Sound, which is the studio that helps us produce our podcast. Mm-hmm. There's always a bottle there because our friend Jeff, who is not the Jeff that hosts with us, mm-hmm. but the owner of the studio is in a band with, mm-hmm. is obsessed with Malort. Yeah. If you are a guest in the studio, you have to do a shot of Malort. If you hang out with them after a show, you have to do a shot of Malort. I have a friend. Right of passage. We have a friend mm-hmm. who has his entire ass cheek tattooed in the logo of Malort. Hilarious. So Chicago, if you ever come to Chicago, I dare you, right? Everybody knows about the hot dogs. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about the pizza. Mm-hmm. I dare you. Do a shot of Malort. Do a shot of Malort. That's that will right. be honestly the most Chicago thing that you will do 
in the city of Chicago. And if you can like send us, tweet us, or social media us a picture or a video of you doing a shot of Malort, mm-hmm. we will laugh at you. Yeah. That's about it. Maybe we'll talk about it on right. the show, but we'll just laugh at you. And if you want to hear the effects of Malort, a couple years ago, our Super Bowl special was we watched on the Nothing Important, the old school Bud Bowl commercials yes. from, from the late 80s, early 90s. Yes. And uh, the penalty for losing your wager was shots of Malort. And if you want to hear what that did to me, it's very audible. It's very, very audible. <laughs> very audible. So, uh, Malort, do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I just love the way that she acted on that. She's like, oh, smooth. <laughs> like, yeah. she, like, she doesn't want to ruin the moment, especially since it's her boss, like, coercing right. her to drink. It's obviously she, super expensive. Yeah, she's like, smooth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Kim's in the car going over the terms. Practicing her pitch. Practicing her pitch. Yeah, on the way to the Gatwood deal. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then it happens. Yeah. Okay, so the whole time, obviously, I'm like, something's going to happen. Something's yeah, going to happen. We, it, Jimmy's going to call. It felt it. Right. Yeah. But I, I wasn't sure where they were going. I never thought that there was going to be a crash. I kind of thought maybe. I didn't know. I thought she was going to run out of gas or something. I kind of felt the crash coming. But the way it planned out, I would have expected to see, you know how it, the camera is in the window across the car, and mm-hmm. then you'll see the vehicle coming at the last second? Yeah. Like, I thought we were heading for a T-bone situation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because that's you a know. classic thing in TV where yeah. they're at a stoplight, and you can see the car coming in from the background. Or they're crossing an intersection, and it's like last, last second you see it. You know, they pull in front of somebody. Yeah. You know, but this accident scene, for one, finally the craziness happened. Because yeah. we always talk about nine's the crazy one, and the right, whole right, episode right. was kind of bland. Right. So this is probably the most obviously the most pivotal point of the whole show. Not I, bland? Do you think it was bland? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of like super intense things going on. Gotcha. You okay, I, I didn't think it was bland. It just wasn't intense. Yeah, that's how I go. would put it. Yeah, like it, that's it, a better way to put it. Yeah, because uh, we, I mean, we're sixty-seven minutes in. We've had a lot to say about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's something about the way that that was shot. And the way that that scene, that accident was produced, it kind of scarred me. I don't know if I watched too many Saw movies mm-hmm. or something. It yeah. was super realistic. Yeah. Okay. Um. There's obviously a cut, a jump cut. Yeah. Which. It was like too really quick, right? Yeah. It was a jump cut. You barely see like half a second of her like going face first into the airbag. Mm-hmm. And then another jump cut that's takes place after she has reeled back and settled into her seat and there's so it created like this really even before she hits the airbag there's like another like a frame yeah there's like this and then one frame in between and then it hits and there's something about movies and seeing that to me that unsettles me yeah those time jumps it's jarring yeah it really freaks it gives me the chills it freaks me out yeah and the way they set that up was perfect because a few episodes ago she tried to take a nap yes and uh we, you know, it, it like that really quick, like jump where, uh-huh. you know, she kind of settles in, gets comfortable, and then she's startled right. awake. Right. Which abrupt. Yeah. Cause, very abrupt. Cause it, cause my first thought was like, well, that's cheap. Mm-hmm. You can't just throw a car accident out of nowhere like mm-hmm. that. You know, that's like, you can't have a twist ending that doesn't give you any clues that the twist is coming. Mm-hmm. Cause that's just stupid and cheap. Right. But then you brought that up. Like, you know, they set this up. Right. And it's like, yeah, not only she's she literally trained herself to take five minute naps in the front seat of her car. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah. Exactly. So that one bit her in the ass. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, and then once again, ponytail game still on point. Still on point. Mm-hmm. Still on point. Indeed. She got out of the car and she was holding her arm. Well, I didn't even notice that. She yeah, she had trouble getting out of her car and she was holding her her right right arm. So hmm. she has the black eyes. So I would hmm. assume her nose is broke. Busted face. Yeah. Busted face. So it looked like to me. I don't know if you ever had your nose broke, but you typically no. get black eyes when your nose breaks. Yeah. Like and her the bridge of her nose was cut open a bit, mm-hmm. so she she's got some real damage from uh, going off road and hitting that rock. Mm-hmm. And plus, she's kind of alone because as it pans out, nobody's coming off the off ramp, mm-hmm. and the highway's still a ways out. You right, know? right. And I just love the little moment again because I'm big about little moments. I love the little moment of the wind sweeping through the broken car, and then the the paper gets some of the papers just out. like like uh, and then uh, it falls. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to think of how the name applies to the episode. I don't know, but that was probably the lamest confetti ever. <laughs> <laughs> episode over. <laughs> Here uh, comes Rip Taylor. So overall, um, not 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 the crazy episode nine that we're used to. But in a way, yes, because that was I'm still haunted by the accident, and that's going to be a big deal. You know what? I, for a split second there, because you always joke that Kim Wexler died. I, kept, I, I was, all day, all day. I'm thinking about that. I, I always joke about Kim dying. Yeah, and that was the first thought when the accident happened. I went, "Oh my god, I was right." Yeah, for a split second there, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, "She's dead." Yeah, yeah. Like, well, they did kill off Kim. Yeah, and who who knows? Mm-hmm. She's still hurt. You know, she may be. May, she may not make it home. Yeah, who knows? I honestly think we're gonna get into this in pop probably in more detail. Mm-hmm. I'm starting. I was thinking about this that maybe Jimmy might have to use some of the settlement money to help Kim take care of her bills. Ah, so he's going to push harder for the settlement. Or since they're partners, he's going to have to buy her out when she leaves the firm because she's overworked and she's already suspicious of him as well. So it'll be like a parallel to Howard and Howard and Chuck. Like she's physically unable to work, mm-hmm. but she's still on the payroll. Yeah. Mm. How about them for shit? So then when he comes back to being a lawyer after suspension, he might come back with an alter ego. Yeah. Which totally fits about five seasons. <laughs> nice. You may never see Saul Goodman. What if Chuck show. and Kim Wexler then team up against Howard? Ooh. Because they now they both have animus towards Howard Hamlin. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. But and they're both suspicious of Jimmy. What they're is both it? affected by Jimmy and the whole manipulating the paperwork and stuff. Mm-hmm. Chuck never once blames Kim for it. Right. You know, he knew that Jimmy did it for Kim, but he still didn't like you know, somebody like does something on behalf of somebody else and they hate that somebody else. Mm-hmm. They don't shoot the messenger. Right. Or this, that's not an appropriate analogy. Not at all. But hate, I was I was gonna let you work through somebody it. Else. They totally misdirect their anger. Yeah. He never did that with Kim. He never like blamed Kim for what Jimmy did, which mm-hmm. is totally some people would do that. Right. If it wasn't for you, this would never happen. Right. No, it's always directed at Jimmy. So now you got they both hate Jimmy. Or they're both not so cool with Jimmy. They have common enemies. Yes. They have and common the enemies. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's right. That's right. Also, on a, on a programming note, we did get preview with the prior out previous to episode 309 but it is a very special preview with the prior that is almost exclusively exclusively listener correspondence that is correct that so is. it's not it's not even really so much a preview anyway mm-hmm. so it's probably going to be posted late because i'm an idiot mm-hmm. i forgot things i need to do to edit it mm-hmm. so 
Uh, make sure to check out the Nothing Important podcast. There will be new episodes coming up soon. Make sure to check out A Plumus Among Us. Make sure that you're downloading, using, participating, and looking at the TV Time at, app. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Podcast Detroit, all those other. Everywhere. Everywhere. Make sure that you get your questions, comments, suggestions, and platitudes to us through our various uh, comment sections on everything that we are on uh, social media-wise so we can do the preview with a prior proper for season three finale, episode 10. <laughs> the alliteration that I use there on the spot, like, uh, trip me up. But anyway, we want to hear from you. We want to have an awesome time uh, watching uh, and discussing episode 3010, 3010, 3010. 30 years. Episode 310 <laughs> with you guys. And of course, just like uh, last year, I think we'll probably the following week do a follow up episode for the season with Jeff. Yeah, probably with Jeff. And then we'll go into like our, our weird quasi quasi hiatus state where we'll keep mm -hmm. trying to get interviews and exclusives for you guys. That's right. Yep. And it'll be, uh, we'll keep the strain rolling. So we'll see you just as the credits roll for episode 310. Dave? We've had the AC off this entire hour plus that we've been recording, and I blame Nacho. Call us idiots, call us geniuses, whatever. Just call us.